0: Hey Sasha. Hi. How are you?
1: Good. How about you?
0: I'm all right. Uh, I cut you off mid sentence because we were getting into a very interesting subject that's come up recently for me with other people that I add to various support groups. Oftentimes when people find this podcast and want to be connected to community, they'll reach out and say, hey, these support groups sound pretty cool. And I'll just, you know, give them a little bit of a rundown on what they're about, and then I'll go ahead and add them. So I was just asking you if I added you to any of the support groups and we don't have to say any of the names of them. And you said that you ended up leaving pretty quickly after you got in them. So can you share with me what happened? Like, what made you leave?
1: I just felt a little bit uncomfortable. I was getting flooded with a lot of personal messages from people that were also in the group that I didn't know. That initially started out positive, like, we're happy to have you, yada, 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 which felt good initially. But then it turned more into them telling me that I was beautiful and this and that, and even after not responding, I was still getting messages. I just felt a little bit uncomfortable about the whole situation. So ultimately, that's why I decided to leave the group.
0: About how long did it take for that to happen for you?
1: I'd say about a day.
0: Oh, my God, that quickly?
1: It it was not long at all. Uh. It was shortly after information was posted that a new member aka myself was added so it was very shortly after that that I started getting messages from
0: people wait 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 when you say it was posted that a new member was added it was like that wasn't you posting your introduction this was more somebody else saying hey welcome this new person um
1: honestly I don't remember oh okay I think it may have been because people were like posting information about themselves in the group. So I, th- I think it was me that posted. Oh, okay. And then people used that post as like an, in- an introduction to direct message me, which I personally was not comfortable
0: with. So. Man, one day, why didn't you tell me? I would have done or said something. Well, wait, I mean, was this a group I, I, I added you was to?
1: Okay
0: What's that? Was this a group that I added you to? Yes. Oh, fuck. Uh, All right. Well, I need to do a better job of, one, setting expectations, and then, two, like, being sure that uh, we're trying to create more of a safe space, because I think that people come into the spaces that I'm extending to them under the expectation of being met with at least people who are on the same wavelength as I am uh, in terms of sex positivity honoring boundaries consent and things like that but that's not always the case and hearing about this from you I'm glad that you are bringing this up directly and that it came up in our conversation because it is something that I see like I get screenshots from people that I add into the groups and different people handle different things different ways so uh, it does in fact make me a little bit hesitant to add people to groups that aren't necessarily extensions of what I believe to be useful or what I believe um, are in line with my own personal values. So uh, that's part of the reason why there's a Something Positive for Positive People podcast community on Facebook. While I don't exactly know what that is going to look like long term. I know there are things that can be done with it, and the expectation is that people listen to this podcast so they have a similar set of values. Uh, as far as the group goes, I don't think there's a lot of people that know about this podcast or even know about me, but uh, I feel like by flooding in, you know, sex positive. Um, people who have an understanding of consent and boundaries and things like that, that it can, in fact, neutralize some toxicity that may be in some group type dynamics, especially for people who are living with herpes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and i I was okay with leaving that group because I felt much more comfortable with the other group that was actually associated with the podcast for exactly the reason that you stated, so...
0: And and I'm not shitting on groups. Uh, We just got to do something about the the way that people... Because what I see, or what I've seen over the years, because uh, about four years ago was when I started to find them, is that there's a sense of entitlement in some cases. And then some people will shoot their shot with people uh, virtually because everybody has herpes, right? Not necessarily because they find them uh, attractive like in real life i don't think that some people would even have what it is necessary for them to approach a pretty woman or a handsome guy and have dialogue that parallels what they send in messages like i can't imagine that being the case but because of how people view their herpes diagnosis it's like oh well now you're at my level or we're on the same level now and there's no yeah There's no, uh, there's a little bit less hesitation to pursue. So that entitlement and that (laughs) uh, extra confidence boost in a negative way, because it's a negative thing, like to say, oh, her self esteem must be lower. Like, no one's saying this directly, but I can see that being a thing, and I have seen that be a thing. I I,
1: completely agree.
0: Do you, uh, any messages in particular that stood out to you as, like, oh, hell no? type messages
1: nothing that was overtly sexual or offensive in any way but just one particular person continued to message me time and time and time again even when I wasn't replying and so I just decided to leave
0: it wasn't me was it I'm just kidding, (laughs) because I messaged you a few times about, uh, well, we've messaged back and forth about doing this podcast episode, so I'm glad that we were finally able to get in here and get it going. Um, I realized I didn't do an intro, so welcome to the podcast, Sasha. I'm glad to have you here, and for us to have opened... With such an important topic, uh, it's relevant because now something positive for positive people, while I'm focused on doing this podcast weekly, having interviews, um, I'm still you know, always looking for donations, as well as putting together these group therapy uh, cohorts and getting people to collectively come together for a healing experience that is led by a licensed mental health professional. So in addition to that, I wanna be able to connect people to community because that has been by far the most healing thing that I've experienced, but I have to also take responsibility from ensuring that these spaces that I'm inviting you all to are representative of something positive for positive people. So I'm glad that, again, you brought this to my attention. It's been brought to my attention in ways that weren't as 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 uh, direct. As you just shared you know like no one's really considered themselves or told me at least that they've experienced like blatant harassment or anything but also you recognize that this was behavior you didn't want to take part in so you left mm-hmm. and so yeah I gotta I gotta do something about that so again thank you yeah
1: and it is if- say that I, I don't think it was coming from a bad place at all, but it's just I didn't join the group for that aspect of, you know, finding a partner. So that's why it ultimately wasn't for me as well.
0: Yeah, uh, Did you just move? You got, like, I feel like there should be things in those cubbies. <laughs>
1: so- I, yeah, I actually am about to start painting my living room, so that's why I have those two little paint swatches there, and then all the stuff is off my shelf, because I need to get my shelf out for when I actually paint. So okay. that's why it looks like a disaster behind me. <laughs>
0: Alright, got it. Alright, so now that you're a little less nervous and warmed up, do you want to go ahead and share what your experience has been living with?
1: Of course. So I have pipe 1 genital herpes. I was diagnosed actually on New Year's Day of 2019, so that was my New Year's gift. Um, So it's been a little bit over two years now. A lot has happened in that time. There has been a lot of very difficult times, a lot of growth, um, just all types of things have occurred. So I'm ready to talk about all of them, if that works for you.
0: Of course that works for me.
1: Um, So around the time that I contracted herpes, I was actually in a relationship. I was with my boyfriend for probably about four to five months at this point, and we were in a monogamous relationship. Um, Both of us had, we did have previous relationships. We really hadn't been with that many people. Um, STDs and STIs were really just not on the forefront of our mind. It really wasn't a concern. And I actually did not contract my herpes from having penetrative sex. I contracted it from receiving oral sex from my boyfriend who um, had a cold sore or had a history of cold sores. So when you know you get into a new relationship, you don't really think to ask people about history of cold sores. Nobody really thinks to ask those questions because um, we're not taught to, unfortunately. So that is how I contracted it.
0: Man. So how did you know that that was what did it? Was this you receiving oral on New Year's Eve and then you woke up on New Year's Day with an outbreak? Or how do you know that that's how it happened?
1: So uh, this happened uh, about two weeks before New Year's. I started getting symptoms almost exactly 10 days after that encounter happened, which I know textbook is usually about like 10 to 14 days. So about 10 days is when I started to have symptoms. My symptoms initially were pretty mild. I kind of was thinking, you know, maybe I'm having use yeast infection or a UTI or something of that nature. Again, STDs and STIs were not even on my radar at all. Um, as days went by, symptoms were getting a little bit worse. I think I kind of started to get an idea that something was wrong, but I was very much in denial. And I remember talking to my boyfriend at the, my boyfriend at the time. We're no longer together. Um, telling him about this and i think he was also in denial and i just kept telling myself it just has to be a yeast infection so um, a couple days after that i ended up going to urgent care he came with me he stayed in the waiting room and then i went into the exam room myself now when i'm when i'm in the exam room i'm telling the nursing assistant you know, I'm having these symptoms, and then I keep brushing over and saying, but I think it's just a yeast infection. I was trying to comfort myself, I now realize. <laughs> but as I'm reporting more of the symptoms that I was having at the time, because I think at that time I already had actual lesions that I could visibly, visibly see, and they were painful. So as I was reporting these symptoms to the nursing assistant, she kind of gave me, like, this little side eye and kind of lifted her eyebrow up. And that's how I knew, like, okay, there's definitely something going on here. This is not just a yeast infection. So she leaves the exam room. She says, I'm going to go grab the doctor. So the doctor comes back in. Both the nursing assistant and the doctor are in the room. And, of course, they want to take a swab because I have actual lesions at that point. Um, So it's not, you know, a blood test or anything like that. They were actually able to swab it. So it was very humiliating, very embarrassing. Obviously, I had to get completely undressed. They were looking at me, you know, with this look of poor, pitiful thing. We feel so bad for you. He swabbed it, and I think, yes, he swabbed it, and then obviously I got dressed, and then both of them went into the hallway. So I'm sitting in the exam room now alone, and I'm panicking because I know something is wrong. They actually left my door, the door to the exam room cracked open a little bit. So I overheard them in the hallway talking about me, and I heard the nursing assistant say to the doctor, have you told her yet? And in my mind, I was like, oh my God, told me what? And I start panicking, of course. Um, And also, I was humiliated because they were having, you know, hallway talk about me, their patient. That's completely humiliating from a patient's perspective. And the doctor comes back in the room, and he just looks at me, and he says, I'm so sorry, but I'm pretty and I'm pretty confident that you have dental herpes. And I literally burst into tears. I think I blacked out for a minute or two because I don't even really remember exactly what happened after that. But the next thing that I remember after him telling me was he was just – he had, like, his hands clasped, and he was just looking at the ground. Like, it was the most shameful news that he had ever delivered to a patient before. And after he told me that, he started asking me questions about my relationship. And I told him that I was in a monogamous relationship, that we had, you know, no concern for STDs or STIs. Um, He asked me if I thought my boyfriend cheated on me, and that's how I got it. And then from that conversation is how we ended up talking about cold sores and i i knew that my boyfriend got cold sores but again it wasn't something that i thought to ask about in regards to herpes because nobody calls cold sores herpes um so that was kind of the whole visit for me to be honest he just said we're gonna wait for the results to come back we'll tell you if it's type 1 or type 2 We'll give you some tracks, send you on your way. I never received any type of information in regards to, like, pamphlets, handouts, nothing. He just kind of sent me home. Um, When I I left the exam room, I'm pretty sure I was still bawling my eyes out. I think I ran into the bathroom uh, because I was so humiliated. My boyfriend, I think, was waiting for me outside the bathroom. We walked to the car together. We both just cried in the car together because um, he was as shocked as I was, you know, he also didn't know that something like that could happen. And it was, it was a very difficult moment, because both of us were living at home um, with our parents at that time. And since we were newly dating, he had not met my family yet. So I was feeling very afraid to go home, because I I obviously didn't want my parents to know that information because I was feeling very ashamed, Mm -hmm. but I knew that I wasn't going to be able to hide it because I was so visibly upset. Um, So we ended up staying in his car for a while and just crying together. (laughs) And I remember how I feel in that moment, and that is probably the worst I have ever felt in my entire life. I don't remember if it was the day of or the day after when I told them, I'm assuming it was the day that I went home, Um, but the day following that, I became very, very, very sick. Um, I was having projectile vomiting, I was having diarrhea, blurry vision, I couldn't walk, I was in so much pain. And, you know, my, my parents had just learned of this diagnosis as well. So I remember just laying on the couch and crying. And my dad initially was very understanding. He was comforting. I remember he hugged me. My mom, on the other hand, I love her to death, but she was not nearly as comforting. Um, she... I don't think that it was coming from a bad place, but I think that she was just so shocked at what had happened that she didn't really know how to process it. And she also asked me, do you think your boyfriend cheated on you? And that's just really not what I needed at that time. I really, really needed someone to just provide me with some level of comfort. And I wasn't really feeling that from her. This is something that her and I had talked about afterwards, though. So things are, are different now, but it was very, very difficult um, at the time. And I also was afraid, too, because I was so, so sick. I thought that I was going to have to go to the hospital because I, I kid you not, I could not even get up and use the bathroom. It was so bad. So it <laughs> was a rough time.
0: Uh, so your doctor thought you were cute and became really shy talking about sex around you?
1: definitely wouldn't say that he he more so looked sad to deliver that information to me like he he after he told me he couldn't really look me in the eyes hmm. I think he just felt so bad for me because he just made it seem like you poor pitiful thing I'm so sorry to tell you this but you probably have
0: all right yeah. And your boyfriend was very supportive, just as surprised as you were. Did you find yourself needing to comfort him more than you two were comforting
1: each other? I would definitely say that he had to comfort me more. I was trying to comfort him, but I probably wasn't doing a very good job. I know that he felt a lot of guilt in regards to what happened. So it was was very difficult because we both felt awful for different reasons. And things stayed difficult for quite a while after that, unfortunately.
0: Mm. How much Um, longer did y'all stay together?
1: We stayed together for about a year and a half after that diagnosis.
0: So if your mom thought that he cheated on you, and at this point in time y'all hadn't met each other's parents yet, your dad was comforting, did him meeting your family, bringing him around, did that? change anything for your parents or were your parents receptive of him
1: they were receptive surprisingly i was nervous about that um i think them meeting him put them at ease a little bit because they saw that he was a good person whereas before you know they had not met him they really hadn't put a face to the name or anything so i think it did help a little bit
0: so at that point it was just this guy who gave their daughter herpes until they met right. him and they were like, Oh, this is a person right. who just happened to have herpes and just so happened to have been intimate with our daughter. And then there was acceptance, right? right. How did the relationship look moving forward after, were you about to say something?
1: Oh, I was just going to comment on my experience receiving my test results. Cause that yeah. was also not, not a great experience. Okay. Um, So I got the call New Year's Day. The person who called me from the office, he seemed so scrambled, and he was stuttering on the phone, and he was like, oh, I'm just calling to let you know that you have herpes. And I was like, yes, I know. I'm supposed to know which one it is, type one or type two. And he couldn't tell me on the phone for whatever reason, so I actually had to call back a couple days later and speak with the nurse, and she had to give me that information. So I was like, even when they called me, I still didn't get the information that I wanted.
0: Who is this person who's able to call you and say you have herpes, but not to be able to tell you what the chart says?
1: Right? Yeah, he said that he wasn't able to look specifically at the results for if it was type 1 or type 2.
0: See, that makes me wonder. They had just like a database of numbers to call on uh, an Excel sheet that's like, someone who's just there to make these phone calls and deliver the news is doing and they can't do anything else like that's just so robotic uh even with for me i got i went to energy care and i was treated for chlamydia and when they called me back with my results they the guy was just like hi can you verify your last four of your phone number gave it to him he goes all right your gonorrhea results came back negative pause committee of results came back positive. It's like, what? <laughs> How? And, and at that point, like I just needed to know when they were open again. But yeah, it was very direct and to the point. And perhaps that's just what they're taught. Perhaps that's what uh, science and studies show that we need after our diagnosis is objective, simple, cut, and dry communication. But from experience, I don't see that being what People need. And perhaps doctors, nurses, the healthcare providers who are delivering the diagnosis just might not be the best people equipped to deliver a diagnosis. I think that I would much prefer someone who has an understanding of STIs more so in general, who's not going to ask, Well, do you think your boyfriend cheated? What does that have to do with anything? If you were single and six months ago, you might've been in a relationship with someone and ended it, and then you had your first symptoms. like How does that make you feel as a person to be guided down that path of thought that is 100% a representation of stigma, whereas the, the questions are irrelevant. They should be providing you with information like, hey, this doesn't mean that your significant other cheated, all this means is that you were exposed to the virus by someone who has it. And the Mm -hmm. questioning behind it seems completely irrelevant and unnecessary. So that's why bringing it full circle, I asked, I was like, well, did your doctor like have a crush on you or something? Like that, that's weird to me that he's uncomfortable with just stating the facts and then going on about the day.
1: Yeah. And, and after, that experience I thought to myself this must be really bad if my own doctor can't deliver that information to me easily and so I left the office with that attitude and I I think that that kind of created um, I had that attitude going forward and I think that that made it difficult to cope with the diagnosis because my actual experience of being diagnosed was so negative
0: mm-hmm. How we are delivered a diagnosis often shapes how, and if at all, we choose to disclose. Um, I think that is a very important bit of information for health providers to understand, because if you deliver a diagnosis and a person is met with shaming in relation to the things around their diagnosis, such as were you in a monogamous relationship that was headed towards marriage and you were using condoms every time, you know what I mean, like perpetuating these poor stereotypes about what it means to receive a positive herpes diagnosis that makes it challenging to go home later that day and touch base with your support system or reach out to your partner and say, hey, this is something that happened and we want to speak to it very matter of factly. What happened was you had symptoms of something, you went to the doctor, you got looked at, you were treated, and then you talk about the experience that occurred. There's no need for whether or not uh, your your history with past partners was uh, monogamous or if you were single yeah. or if you were non-monogamous or if you just had a one night stand with someone, none of that matters. How you got it, where you got it does not matter. We just need to at least get comfortable with telling the story of what happened factually and then offering up whatever it is that we feel more comfortable with after the fact. That's my two cents on the delivery of a herpes diagnosis for someone. And then, of course, like being able to sit there with you as you cried is probably not something that a doctor is able to do. Like, they have to see other patients, obviously, but to be able to provide post STI diagnosis support resources such as something positive for positive people where people who receive a herpes diagnosis can at the very least connect with a resource that serves as the gateway to other resources and on the high end be able to receive some aspect of counseling with a licensed mental health professional or to find any of these groups if their self-esteem just needs a little bit of a boost they can jump in and post an introduction and get a whole bunch of messages talking about how pretty these people are right <laughs> but the thing is that we need things that are on a spectrum uh i don't think that support groups alone i don't think that a sex positive doctor alone are going to be things that support us in navigating the stigma i think that we need a lot more and Perhaps uh, you can, you know, tell me if this is true for your experience, but having herpes, did that bring up anything about perhaps your beliefs, your behaviors, different patterns in your life that occurred leading up to your diagnosis? And did that reflect how you looked at yourself after your diagnosis?
1: I don't know about that specifically, but it definitely brought to the forefront previous trauma that I had never really dealt with, um, specifically an assault that occurred a year prior, about a year prior to my diagnosis. Um, At the time that the assault occurred, I was single. I um, was in a very busy internship program, so it was very easy for me to just pretend that it didn't happen and bury myself in work. So I never really processed that situation. Um, So after my diagnosis, that definitely brought that to the forefront, um, which was very, very difficult because then I was processing both this new diagnosis and this assault that had happened a year prior. And I think the reason that it brought the assault to the forefront was because I was really struggling with the fact that this person had assaulted me and I didn't quote unquote get something from that experience, but I got something from someone that I really loved and cared about, and I really struggled with that. I That was impossible for me to understand, like, why the universe would do something like that to me. Um, so I, I don't know if I could say that it's it brought to the forefront certain beliefs or patterns that I had established within myself, but it definitely brought about things that I had not processed previously.
0: hmm in processing that, were you able to do that with the help of a therapist, or was this something that you did on your own?
1: Unfortunately, no. I think at the time, I was very uncomfortable with the idea of therapy. I did not want to have to tell a therapist about my assault or even about my diagnosis, so I tried to deal with it internally, and it was not working at all. Um, I had gotten to the point where I was so disgusted with my body that even, you know, taking my clothes off to go take a shower, I couldn't even look at my body in the mirror because I felt like I had been violated by both herpes and the person that assaulted me. I was just completely disgusted with myself. And it it took a very, very long time to deal with those feelings and to overcome that because even some, it sounds stupid, but even something as simple as like inserting a tampon, like anything that involved touching that part of my body felt so shameful to me because I felt like it was just ruined forever.
0: Uh, I know so. that you mentioned to me before we started talking that we would go into this conversation, so... Um, I appreciate you sharing, and um, I know that this is hard to talk about, and being a man, having the privilege of not being able to 100%, you know, be empathetic to or be able to see myself in uh, that position of having to process something like this, right? Um, Thank you for sharing, and I would like to know that if you're speaking to someone who has a similar experience to you, someone who has been assaulted and has not processed their assault, uh, what, what would you say? I don't wanna direct the question too much. I would like for you to offer what you have and then for me to frame it in a way to where it can be shared specifically um, to someone who has been assaulted And has the constant reminder of herpes as a result. Because that, unfortunately, is a conversation that I've had many times.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, first and foremost, I would say definitely do not blame yourself. You did not ask for that to happen. Um, Nobody wants that to happen. And I think a lot of times we do put blame on ourselves and we'll say, well, if I had been drinking less or if I had just gone home and slept at my own house that night or yada 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 I think a lot of times we do put the blame on ourselves so first and foremost don't blame yourself and second as much as it sucks you have to process that the more that you push it away and you ignore it the more that it's going to build up over time and like I said, I it sucks. It's really difficult, but you have to sit with those emotions and you have to feel them and you have to let yourself be upset about it and let yourself cry because that's the only way that you're going to move past it. The more that you push it away, the more that it's going to rear its ugly head over time. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> um, and now, I don't know that <clears throat> the process of disclosure. Uh, This has been something that's been big lately is talking about disclosure, disclosing herpes, disclosing perhaps disabilities, mental health issues, disclosing if you want children. I try to normalize all types of disclosure on the same level as herpes so that it isn't hyped up. Um, I want to ask you this. Was it more challenging for you to process and disclose perhaps I don't know if you told your parents or if you told anyone around you about having been assaulted but did you first let me ask that
1: I told very very few people there are actually still people in my life that don't know about it it was just something that was very personal to me I've told more people as time has gone on Um, but yeah like I said there are still some people that don't know about it
0: Mm -hmm. and as someone who wants to be supportive to someone who is a survivor of sexual assault what do you need from the people that you share that with
1: I think that's a very good question (laughs) I've never thought about that before I think what I would need most from someone that I share that information with would honestly just be a listening ear that's free of judgment because, like I said, I think a lot of times when things like that happen, it's very easy to blame ourselves. Um, in my case specifically, this was someone that was a mutual friend, um, and drinking was involved. So I've thought about, well, if I wasn't drinking, would things have turned out differently? And obviously, we know that that's that's not the case. So even just having somebody that listens and is non judgmental goes a very very long way.
0: Okay. And then, um, if I may, can I ask you one more question in related, in relation to having been assaulted and herpes? Yeah. Um, did you feel like the avoidance, uh, avoidance seems like the best word here, of processing having been assaulted, was something that so that like helped you with navigating your herpes diagnosis? Because it seems like immediately after your herpes diagnosis, you sought out support and perhaps began processing. Whereas with assault, it was, I'm, I'm busy. I'm gonna just keep my head down and keep working and hustling and bustling. And then you said a year later was when you got your diagnosis and your response to this traumatizing event was to reach out and seek support. Does that have anything to do with like there being less shame involved or the, the narratives society puts on women who've been assaulted? versus on women who get an STI?
1: I guess I would say, I don't think it it necessarily helped me process my herpes diagnosis. I think it was more so.
0: I want to acknowledge that that was a really shitty way of me asking that question as well. (laughs) It was just like, I was trying to get it out there. Uh, in a way that made sense because as I'm, I'm speaking to you, but uh, having this dialogue specifically because I know that I'm going to share this with a person. And so I want to like address this in a way that I don't have the perspective of doing, but these are just things that I feel would perhaps be helpful. Um, us having this dialogue, like as a man, It's uncomfortable for me to try and get the information I feel like if I have, I'm able to take this and support the people who may reach out to me who've had a similar experience to you. I understand as a man, it's important for me to, if I see some shit happening or going down to address it and call out that behavior not being acceptable like if it's borderline creepy if it's borderline looking assaulty you know check in with the woman assaulty oh my god i'm on a roll today right uh, check in with the and i don't even want to just limit it to women who are being uh, taken advantage of or um harassed or anything that may lead up to an assault taking place um mm-hmm. I only know to do what I know to do. So again, this dialogue is not only supporting me in figuring that out, but perhaps there's someone here with male friends or with, uh, with friends, period. Because it doesn't matter if you're male or female, everybody can step in and do or say something that is going to show allyship with the potential uh, victim, survivor, and you know also stand up against the perpetrator. Oh, I finally use the right words so do you know what i'm 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 offering up all this extra context to help you answer the question but i don't even know the question anymore
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure i know the question anymore either <laughs> i think i thought the question initially was did it help me or hinder me in regards to processing my diagnosis is that what you're asking that's, or not even what you're
0: asking? so that's not what i mean uh let's see what I would like to know is because you, you the way you said it, it was like herpes was just a reminder of your uh, being assaulted. Um, so having that serve as a reminder, I'm curious to know what the what's what's happening in your mind? like do you get support? for the herpes? Do you get support for having been assaulted? Like what as a re-trigger does herpes influence you to do?
1: To be honest with you at the time, nothing. Because I wasn't really doing anything to help with my own healing other than trying to do it all internally that's what you're asking me right? what a
0: save yes you just save the day Sasha
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it it didn't really trigger me to do anything productive I mean I think at the time I thought that I was being productive in regards to my own healing because I was trying to process it internally but it was not successful in any way shape or form and it, over time um, it was actually getting worse And I still wasn't doing anything and those things were just bubbling up and creating more and more of an issue in my life.
0: Um, What kind of issue in your life when you say that this was just bubbling up what did not dealing with or processing it uh, do? How did you know you weren't dealing with or processing it?
1: I definitely knew about or two after my diagnosis again just to remind you I was living at home with my parents at the time my parents actually went on a trip and they were gone for about three or four weeks so I was alone during that time Um, and I should also preface this by saying shortly after my diagnosis I made an additional appointment with um, a nurse practitioner because I wanted to ask questions about my diagnosis more so on the medical side of things Um, because I didn't receive any information, and when I went to that appointment, I was kind of just given, you know, you have to disclose this for the rest of your life, this is going to affect your ability to deliver a child naturally, blah, 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 she gave me a little handout, sent me on my way, but at that appointment, she also gave me anti-anxiety medication, so I held on to the anti-anxiety medication. And during that period where my parents were gone for three to four weeks, I just felt myself getting into a deeper and deeper hole. Um, And I think at the time my boyfriend didn't even really know how bad it actually was because I was thinking of killing myself or attempting to kill myself i had thought about how i would do it and i had thought i'm gonna go home from work and i'm gonna down this entire bottle of anti-anxiety medication i thought about what i was going to write in my letter to my friends my parents and my boyfriend um i was in the darkest place of my entire life to date
0: uh yeah that just uh First off, really shitted on my whole thing about being direct with the information, right? <laughs> Cause they just tell you these facts and statistics and all it does is just make you depressed and want to kill yourself. Again, this is, I guess there's no right way to deliver a diagnosis or deliver information about a diagnosis. The tools that are available to us to support us in processing it. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need a sex education uh, professional, a sex ed person to come in and be able to give us everything we need. Because this, this is like a service. It's not, it, yes, it's medicine, but we're talking about customer service here, client service here, um, delivering such news and understanding the effects that it has on a person who hears this based on what society tells us, not only about STIs, but about sex and how influential our relationship to sex is on our mental health. These two things are extremely, extremely interconnected. I would even go as far as to say as they're the same thing when it comes to an STI diagnosis because our identities are so interconnected to our sexuality that when something like an STI comes into play, it shatters our sexuality, it becomes damaged and since that's what we identify as we may become damaged and now we have to put the pieces back together and that's where we need to be able to more quickly find resources and support I had no idea that you had contemplated suicide like this is the first that I'm I'm hearing it I, I'm surprised you didn't put that in our correspondence at all are you Are you I'm, okay now?
1: Yeah, no, I, I am. Um, and at the time, I actually texted the crisis hotline. Um, a lot of people don't know you can actually text that hotline rather than call them. And I did exchange messages with whoever was on the other end of that. Um, and I remember saying to the person like, "This, this, and this has happened to me." Things like this shouldn't, like, don't happen to people like me. And that was me even attaching, like, my own shame to it, saying, like, herpes doesn't happen to people, quote-unquote, like me. Um, And I even talked about how I had this previous assault and I felt disgusted with myself and I never thought that I was going to recover from the sexual trauma and feeling violated. And just having that person listen to me, someone that didn't know me personally, an unbiased opinion, helped me in that moment. So that was actually a very good resource for me, because I I don't think I reached out to anyone when I was feeling specifically that way. Like I said, I don't even think my boyfriend at the time knew just how bad it was.
0: Were you hiding it that well, or were people just that oblivious?
1: I would say I was, i at least I think, I was hiding it relatively well, but it was also coupled with the fact that I wanted to be sensitive towards my boyfriend's feelings as well, because it was something that was also very difficult for him, because he felt that guilt in regards to giving it to me. So it was like the person that I really wanted support from, it was kind of hard to ask for that. And I... And, He was very supportive, but there was also that component of, not that I was mad at him for giving it to me, but I was almost jealous of him. Actually, I can say with certainty that I was jealous of him. And the reason being is because I received genital herpes from him, but he does not have genital herpes. And like, I I had remembered in a couple of your previous podcasts, people had talked about how when they um, contracted herpes in a relationship that there was that level of comfort in regards to, oh, we both have it now. It's something that we share. And I didn't really have that level of comfort because once again, I had genital herpes and he didn't. So even though I got it from him, you know what I'm saying? So there was also this like, Again, not that I was mad at him, but I was jealous of him and I was, I can't think of another word other than jealous, but. Yeah, that's
0: funny you say that because I have the complete opposite reaction. When I found out that my herpes was just generally, generally, I thought, Ooh, no one's going to see it. <laughs> so I, but then that goes to show you just how stigmatized herpes is. When it's bisexual contact, yes, you have genital herpes, but because someone who could have kissed you on your face and given you genital herpes, kissed you in your genital region and gave you their oral herpes. Why is there such a stigma of anything that goes down below our waist? I have a few probable answers, (laughs) but the way that society views, teaches, and talks about or doesn't talk about sex, yeah, the way society does not talk about sex is what's really screwing people over. We're ruining lives. We're causing people to go into severe states of depressions, have suicide ideation, attempt to kill themselves, and all because we're, the way we don't talk about sex. I think that might be the episode title. I had a different one at the beginning in mind, but the way we don't talk about sex is killing yeah, people. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, the relationship. Uh, I was curious about that. So I'm sure that over time there's this resentment building up. He isn't recognizing that you're... Thinking about killing yourself, he doesn't recognize that you need support. He's got his own stuff going on. You have genital herpes from him having oral herpes. He has no stigma pressed on him by society. And you still stay together for at least a year, year and a half. What does the relationship look like?
1: The first couple of months after the diagnosis were very, very difficult. Um, I, can, I obviously can't speak for him, but on my part, they were very difficult. I almost wanted to break up with him because I did have that jealousy, that resentment. I thought, every time I'm going to look at his face, I'm going to think about how this happened. Um, but I knew that he was someone that I cared about a lot. I loved him deeply, so I knew that it was eventually a hump that I would get over. And eventually I did. Um, but I, I can't say with 100% certainty that the jealousy ever really went away. Because, once again, like we mentioned, even though we have the exact same virus, he doesn't live with the same, nearly the same experience as myself simply because of the shame that's attached to me and not attached to him. So the relationship. Like I said, initially it was very difficult. Eventually that kind of phased out, but the jealousy on my end never really went away.
0: Mm -hmm. And I wonder if this was compounded on the fact that you're a woman. So what would have happened if the roles were reversed and you gave him genital herpes from having oral herpes and he were to go to the doctor, would they have asked him... Well, were you in a relationship? Maybe she gave it to you. I'm, I'm just I'm curious about the inverse of these scenarios because of, you know, not to just omit other gender identities and expressions, but typically society's looking at man, woman, and the stigma starts oftentimes there. What are you, what genitals do you have? And then what's the situation with sex? And that's where the stigmatization begins with the questions that are asked I just can't see him being a question him being asked that if he went in there like I've heard women who go into the doctor and they are immediately asked about their husband like it's assumed that these women have a husband and that's how why they're getting tested and treated for their sexual health whereas with men I don't hear about them asking that. Now granted, I talk to far more women than I do men, but on the uh, behind the scenes, I do speak with a bunch of men and they don't have these same types of uh, stigmatizations that you go through. So I, I just felt a need to put that in there as well. Um, throughout the relationship, uh, it's consistently challenging, I'm assuming, just for you even having to look at them. Did you find it easier to just be with him because of herpes? Or were you more like, I want to leave, but I don't feel like I can. So let me force this into working. I'm going to do everything I can to make this relationship work. I can see in your eyes, you're like, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Uh, I think I felt that way initially the first couple of months after being diagnosed. As those feelings started to fade away. I wouldn't say I felt that way. Um, he was someone that I truly, truly loved and cared about very deeply. We had talked about you know, lifelong plans together, getting married. He was someone that I really did love. But near the end of our relationship, as things were not going so great um, for reasons that were completely unrelated to herpes, and things started becoming slightly toxic things were not great for my um, confidence, my self-esteem, I do think that I put up with more than I would have otherwise if it wasn't for that diagnosis, if that makes
0: sense. That does, yeah. And what made you finally end the relationship with one another? Were you kind of sensing distancing from him as well? Oh, Uh, you broke up with him, didn't you? This wasn't a mutual thing, was it?
1: It was... No, it was not mutual. He broke up with me.
0: Oh, I had that backwards. See, um, look at the bias. Look, look at how I did that. I, I
1: don't... I don't know if I would say that he was becoming distant, per se, um, but the relationship itself was just... It was becoming very toxic. And I, I think that I i knew that things were ending but my brain would not even entertain that idea
0: because of
1: obviously having herpes sorry go ahead can
0: i ask you something so was he toxic or was the environment toxic was the relationship toxic and can you give us some examples i would like to be more specific with what toxicity is so that people can identify it rather than just throwing a name to unpreferred behavior Now, if there if there's things that you don't feel comfortable saying, you could just say that too.
1: No, 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 that's okay. I'm. I feel like I'm pretty much an open book. Um, I would say he was becoming slightly toxic, and the reason I say that is because I, and I don't want to give specifics in regards to exactly what happened, but I felt like I was being forced into certain things in life that I really didn't want for myself. Um, I felt like I was not being prioritized. I wasn't getting what I needed from the relationship. It just, it wasn't good for me. And I, and I knew that it had to end. I just, like I said, my brain would not even entertain the idea of it ending. And also he was someone that I really loved too, we didn't,
0: you know, plan for our relationship to go south, but unfortunately that's what happened. Mm, okay. All right. I was just curious for a little bit of context. I don't like use of toxic in, you know, vague terms, you know, if something or someone is toxic. Like I believe environments are toxic for sure. And these toxic environments shape toxic behaviors in order to remain in the environment so until someone something comes in and neutralizes the environment or you just remove yourself from it altogether i think that it just kind of exists as uh and, and people serve as a manifestation or um like physical embodiments of the toxicity of the environment that they are in so that was my little uh dose of philosophy there that i guess for the first yeah, time and I- i'm saying i <laughs>
1: The relationship became toxic. I don't, you know, I know that he's a good person. He just did bad things. Okay. So I, I don't, he wasn't, you know, abusive in any way, shape, or form or anything like that. But the relationship was definitely becoming toxic.
0: Okay. All right. So we get through anxiety, we get through processing having been assaulted, we get through processing the herpes diagnosis, and we reach out to the suicide lifeline and that helps uh i would like to know have you recovered from thoughts of suicide ideation have you recovered from thoughts of suicide Uh, have they returned have you found support for that
1: i would say serious thoughts of them have gone away i still really do struggle sometimes i wouldn't say it's nearly to the same extent that it was previously but there are there are some days that are still difficult but nowhere near where i was by any means
0: mm-hmm. and also uh, we're in a pandemic so i assume that this isn't making things any easier for you at all
1: Yeah, um, I think, you know, now that I'm single, it it does feel isolating at times, especially because I don't know anybody else with herpes out of all the people that I've told. Um, I know people, like if I, some friends that I've told and they say, oh, I know somebody else with it. I only know of people through people. I don't actually know anybody. So there's not really anybody that I can talk to about it. And, you know, my my friends are amazing and they're very supportive, but they don't truly understand the situation, which I I can't blame them for that because it's not their situation. So, of course, they're not going to understand it. But it definitely is an isolating feeling at times. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, we're at the end our conversation unless you had a lot more that you wanted to say or a little more that you wanted to say um is there anything else you want to leave us with
1: um i do have two disclosure stories since my breakup yeah that
0: i can add come on like, let's hear them. you 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 talked in a way that made me think that like you weren't dating at all or i don't, I don't know i guess that was Maybe that was just me making an assumption, because uh, how long ago did you end your relationship? About five months. Oh, it's been a while. Okay, I thought that you just broke up, and then you were like, all right, I'm ready to do this podcast. Got it.
1: Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it's been a little bit. Um, I have one very, very negative and one slightly positive experience. Um, My first experience disclosing was very negative. Um, this was actually shortly after my boyfriend and I had broke up. The, that was a very difficult breakup for me. Um, so I was not really sleeping. I was drinking a lot. I was losing weight. And so I met this person, and I knew that I just had to, like, rip the Band-Aid off of that first disclosure because I had so much anxiety around that because that was something that I never had to think of previously because I was in a relationship. And so i told him he was okay with it he even told me about how um i think one of his friends or something had dated somebody with herpes i was like okay fine we don't have to worry about it we ended up sleeping together it was after the fact he told me that he was quote scared shitless of me um and i never heard from him again so
0: not, that oh my god
1: d- not yeah all. that was a d- situation because that was my my first like major disclosure experience um and also at the time that that happened I was not at all in the right headspace to be dating people because I was still processing my breakup so I'm sure you know he probably picked up on that level of vulnerability and Uh, used that to his advantage um and I just kind of (laughs) let it go to the wayside because I was just looking for some type of acceptance really.
0: Oh my God. That hurts. That hurts. Like people are so antsy for someone to accept them for their diagnosis that oftentimes the vetting that needs to take place prior to moving forward with someone to make sure that they're sure about this, that they're sure about you even doesn't take place. Um, And for you, with that disclosure, do you recall asking about his STI status? Did you recall uh, a conversation at all about... Oh, you're laughing. (laughs) Was that the extent of this conversation about sexual health that I have herpes? And he's like, oh, all right, cool. And you were just like, oh.
1: Honestly, that was the extent of it, which is so funny because in so many of your episodes, we've talked about how we're so concerned with our own status. That we forget or we don't want to ask other people their status because we automatically assume we're you know the problem quote-unquote the problem when it comes to that Um, I think maybe very very briefly something was mentioned but not at all in the way that I would want to now
0: Mm -hmm. he was scared shitless asshole all right how'd your slightly better (laughs) one go or a slightly positive one go
1: um yeah, so the second one was a lot better. Um I changed my approach in how I disclosed in that situation. I made it very black and white. I kind of just said, "Listen, this is what I have. This is how I got it." I even I think I cut it off at that and I said, "If you I said if it's a non-negotiable, like that's okay. We don't have to talk about it. But if it's something that you want to learn more about, you can ask me." So I kind of just like left it in his court versus, you know, just spit firing all these statistics and facts and blah, 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 right at him without letting him make that choice. And I think that that definitely helped the situation. So we had a very long conversation about it and just about the ins and outs and how it happened. Um, And then I kind of told him, you don't have to make a decision right now. I just want you to know that information going forward. And so he did his own research and came up with his own opinion regarding it, and it was honestly fine. It never really was a thing. We never explored anything for reasons that were completely outside of herpes, but it did show me that people can be level-headed and also be respectful when you give that information. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I understand that some people are, it's going to be a non-negotiable for them, and that's completely fine. That's their choice to make, but... There's a way to communicate that, not, quote unquote, scared shitless.
0: Yeah, yeah. The way we receive disclosures for herpes or deliver disclosures for herpes, I really believe now, um, after so many conversations, should be the same way that we receive disclosures about other things that may impact another person. Me having children may impact someone's life more than me having herpes. Me not wanting children may impact someone else's life if we are choosing to be with one another than me having herpes. And the list goes on and on about different things that make people compatible or not compatible with one another. So uh, it's, it's very important for us to be able to understand that so that when we go into disclosures, we have a little more confidence in the fact that we have other things that need to be disclosed or that we may or may not choose to disclose to a partner right away, but know that if we see something with them long-term or if we see something with them short-term, that's something worth sharing, something worth them knowing, then we can come from a place of operating under the intention that we just want them to know. So, Mm -hmm. and then in receiving a disclosure, uh, I talk about this a lot more often lately, Um, I've had people reach out to me who don't have herpes and just want to get a better understanding now and uh, figure out how to talk to partners who are positive about herpes or whether or not, uh, or how they go about disclosing their partner's status to someone that they are also intimate with, like in non-monogamous relationships, for instance. Um, And just to answer that, you know, it's always best to discuss with your partner what feels best for them but in disclosing to someone else that a person that you are sexually active with has herpes and that you may not have had symptoms, you may not have tested positive, uh, it's important to still give them that information but in a way that uh, provides your partner who is positive with the anonymity or whatever safety it is that they need to protect their identity. So if you need to say I've had partners in the past or I am seeing someone, you know, if it's just one person, and obviously it'll give them away, but you can just say, I've seen someone uh, and been sexually active with them, they had herpes, I haven't had symptoms, haven't tested positive, but I just wanna offer that to you because it is still possible to pass it on asymptomatically if you're someone who hasn't presented any symptoms, but you know that you've been exposed to the herpes virus. I think that that opens up the door for a, an evolved conversation about herpes and herpes transmission and how common it is and the way that it's so unpredictable and it's tricky and it has all these different nuances to the language and location and when you're positive, how much, how likely you are to pass it on to someone. These are all things that ought to be taken into consideration when we talk about this virus that often just doesn't get taken into consideration.
1: Exactly
0: right. I love hearing that. We can end on that. (laughs) All right, that concludes this episode of something positive for positive people. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to and share this podcast. We're putting together Ooh, this is gonna be out after that happens. So we are trying to get people in group therapy. You can always donate money, but Um, At the time of this recording, I am making an effort to raise six grand in order to be able to create five cohorts of 12 people to receive 12 sessions of peer support group led. uh, I have to word it in the way that's going to protect me legally. It's peer led support group, but it is facilitated by a licensed mental health professional so it's group therapy but in order to get through the state restrictions and whatnot i have to call it this so these are opportunities for people to get together and heal in a space that extends beyond just talking about your herpes status but more so about the emotions that come up with it perhaps there are other things that herpes triggers for you that may come up and it's important to have someone who's a licensed mental health care a licensed mental health professional who is equipped with the tools in order to help navigate the feeling of those emotions and the processing of those thoughts that come with sharing in this vulnerable group dynamic because other people may also be triggered so this is why it's important to me to uplift these licensed mental health professionals in these support group settings because I'm someone who receives messages from people on a regular basis who talk about uh, having attempted suicide, tried to kill themselves, have harmed themselves, experienced depression, and they talk about things that I'm just, frankly, not equipped to deal with. So I know that support groups where uh, people who just have herpes are all, you know, finding healing. In being able to say that they have herpes and share experiences with one another, but that only can do a fraction of what can happen if we decide to seek mental professional help. Uh, for processing everything so you can donate by visiting www.spfpp.org and i mentioned earlier the facebook podcast community the something positive for positive people podcast community it's a it's small (laughs) right now i'm only talking about it on the podcast so the only people who are in there are people who listen to the podcast that's it um You can join that by just sending me a message and adding me on Facebook. Don't just add me because people add me all the time and a lot of people aren't real. So if you can send me a message saying that you want to be in the group and that you heard about uh, the podcast group through the podcast, don't hesitate to reach out. I can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Reddit at H on my chest. I am most active on Instagram for now, but you can go to the website and do whatever it is that you need to do in order to get in contact with me. In fact, that is likely the best way to connect with me. Till next time, stay sex positive.